Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and we are but one week away from Money in the Bank. We take over the O2 in London, England. Cannot wait to get there. Of course, we've got you covered in a very special edition of After the Bell this week because for the first time ever on the show, she is a woman who will be competing in the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. She is a history maker with no shortage of accolades. So I think this makes this a historic episode of ATB. Please welcome for the very first time, the man, Becky Lynch. Hey, Bex, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thank you for, we finally made it work. I've had this podcast for like 11 years now and I've not been, <laughs> a, you have been my white whale, Becky. You, you have... <laughs> You have been the one I have not been able to track down, and you are here. I am excited. We had a lot to get to. Plenty of time. I'm not even flapping my gums about the usual nonsense. I'm not taking time to insult KP. I figure that will come naturally. Fair point. I can. I have noticed that already since we hit record, KP has not stopped grinning like a Cheshire cat from ear to ear. The excitement is palpable. So KP, the man Becky Lynch. It's true, man. One of my favorite people, the man Becky Lynch here on After the Bell. It's top class to have you, Becky. And I'm sure you are absolutely buzzing. We'll get to missing out on the emotions of Clash at the Castle later on. But tell us about your emotions right now before we head to the sold out O2 Arena in London and all the Irish heading across to see you. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Like it's just it, it's just thinking back to, to where I started, you know, and I remember it was August 2002 flying over there on a standby seat because my ma was a flight attendant. So not even sure if I would get on the plane and uh, flying to Heathrow, getting getting a, a ticket to go down to Sittenburn in Kent and starting my journey um, in in wrestling over there. And I did like a week long summer camp in 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 a place called NWA UK. And like it was, was you that, know, was I, that the Hammerlock company or is it different? Yeah, no, that was a Hammerlock place. Okay, I'm I'm not super familiar, but I obviously heard it referenced. I've known a lot of those guys. That was a Johnny Moss was around there and. Fergal, I think, spent some time there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Fergal had Fergal had trained there. Finn Balor uh, had trained there. Had come over. He trained there for like two years. Come over to Ireland, then opened a school, and then they were touting how great this place was. And you know, we would train uh, once a week every Sunday for six hours. But but they were saying, you know, if you really want to get better, you go over to England and you do these intensive, intensive camps. And and there was a show called Faking It. Do you remember it, Kevin? No, I don't. I'm trying to think. No, I don't. You don't remember Faking It? Faking It was great. Oh, it was so good. And it was on it was on Channel Four. And they would take these. Um, so they would take somebody from a different sport or whatever it was, and they would put them in to whatever field it was. So this one was wrestling and there was one guy and he was a ballerina and they put him in and they trained him for four weeks and, uh, and, and made him into a wrestler. And then there would be judges and the judges would come along and they would try to figure out who the person was that was faking it. So we'd go against people who were trained professional wrestlers. And anyway, so this show was on and Hammerlock was on that. And so I would watch it all the time. And so when like Johnny Moss would come through the door, we were like, oh my God, like as if The Rock himself had just walked in to the room. So yeah, anyway, um, the, the point is, 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 is starting over there, humble beginnings and, and, and now being able to perform in the O2 at, uh, at a, a, a PLE. It's still hard for me to see, say PLE. I'm still I'm a, I'm a PPV person. I'm a PPV. It's quite an adjustment. It's funny. We talk all the time about the words and phrases that we are or are not supposed to use on the air. I've eliminated most of them from my actual everyday vocabulary. Like when I, what do, what do you use to hold up your pants? Most people would just instinctively say it's a belt, but I'm like, I, you know, I'm gonna go to my closet and get a championship, a championship title to go with this suit. <laughs> it's so weird how I've, I've literally like rewired my brain to fit how, you know, how we speak on TV. So yeah, I agree with you. The PPV to PLE is a big changeover. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. 
Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. You mentioned Ferg, Becky, Finn Balor. And, and when you think about a moment like this and the match that he has coming up um, against a fella, I think you may have heard of him. His name is Seth Freakin' Rollins for the World Heavyweight Championship at Money in the Bank. To think about where you were together as you made those trips on the dart, that's the train line in Dublin, Corey, all the way across the city. It takes about an hour to get from Bayside, where you grew up, Bex, to, to Bray. And all those trips you made with Finn and here you are in a sold out O2 arena. Do you ever take a moment just to take stock of, of what you've done and where you're at right now ahead of a moment like this? Yeah, I think so. I think, I, I, I think, I think there's a lot of times, you know, and I think because we've been in the WWE together for a long time. Um, and obviously this one's a bit of a conflict of interest. You, you know, the person who trained me and then my husband, um, and, and, you know, myself and Finn have been friends for, for, over 20 years at this stage and uh and and the fact that we've both made it to the highest level the thing is is though when you saw when you saw Ferg when you saw Finn when I walked into that gym for the first time and saw like you knew he was gonna make it you know like you were like not not only was he your teacher so obviously you looked up to him and you respected him like that but he had that presence about him that you knew he was going to make it so and um, see everything that he's done especially lately um with the judgment day and 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 being one of the hottest acts on tv um but then <laughs> then uh then you go ah oh god would you stop jumping my husband you know like i don't want to hate you you're making me hate you what are you doing Got to give him some of them, you know. Um, but also, like, like uh, JD McDonough now is here too, and uh, I remember him when he was he was too short to hit the ropes. He was only twelve when he started, and uh, and so he was hitting he was hitting like the the the, the middle ropes. He was hitting at Ray Mysterio. So, um, but we never we never thought he was going to make it to the top ropes. He was a tiny little lad, and now he's grown up. He's a full grown man jacked out of his mind and we're all here. I watched him on main event the other night just tearing the house down with, with Apollo. Brilliant match. Brilliant match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant match. And so to see where we've all come from this tiny little gym and um, and those little camps to now taking over the O2. What I find hilarious is as an American, anytime somebody asks you where you're from, we would always joke and laugh that you would, people assume you knew somebody from everywhere. I could say, oh, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. And they'd go, oh, do you know Jack Smith? And I'm like, do you have any idea how big Pennsylvania is? But then the Irish just flipped that theory on their heads because you guys are all from like three miles away from one another. Kevin's like, yeah. I grew up in the town where Becky went and Bono went and Seamus it was like three miles up the other direction. It's uh, insane to me how close you guys are. Yeah, so I went to the same school as Bono went to. Uh, <laughs> uh, gas, Kevin it? and I like live within within like a two mile radius yeah. of each other. That's wild. Easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be like passing each other on the buses, you know. Yeah, we went on holidays. We vacationed in the exact same spot, Corey. Our entire lives, Becky's family would go down to the Dingle Peninsula. Our family would go down to South Kerry, the Dingle Peninsula as well. All the same bars. I guarantee you we probably played pool against each other. 
and you probably beat me. Probably. <laughs> so hey, wild, hey, man. No, definitely not. No, God bless. I'm all right at a few things, not poo. It's funny because, I mean, all, all three of us have had the, the blessing of being able to travel the globe, literally. And we understand how massive the world truly is and how different every culture is in every country. So to have th- this wealth of WWE talent from literally a few miles away is kind of hard to fathom. Yeah, yeah. What's in the water there? It's the fighting Irish too, though, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I find the funniest thing, Becky, is the, is the jobs that, that we've all had. Corey and I were talking about it last week. Corey had one mental job, which is not fit for air, that he did when he was younger. I was talking about a job <laughs> that I had in Westwood. Do you remember Westwood, the gym? I used to be the fella singing the happy birthdays oh, to yeah, the kids. Oh, right there. Yeah, yeah. I used to work in Fitzone singing happy birthday to the children. But you, you were a flight attendant for Aer Lingus asking, do you want chicken or beef or giving out the teas and coffees? Seamus was a bouncer at Lily Bordellos in town. It's just gas to think of the different roles, the different avenues. And, and it's one of the beautiful things I always say about WWE for me is that you, you speak with everyone, whether it's Maxine Dupree last week, and you learn about all the different avenues, you know? You're 37,000 feet in the sky asking, and, and also with that, I am sure going, how do I get to the WWE and get out of this flight attendant role? So it's weird because when I was a flight attendant, I kind of given up on my dream. You know, I, I, I didn't think I was going to be a wrestler anymore. I am... Um, so I stopped wrestling when I was 19 uh, for a period of time. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things. I left home, moved over to Canada. My visa ran out. I'd been wrestling around Japan and around uh, America and all this kind of stuff. And um, it didn't really have much direction. And I had a very Irish mammy uh, who, you know, was what, what's your plan? 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 Got, got to get a plan. Got to get a plan. And I, I didn't, I, I couldn't say, well, I want to, I want to wrestle. I want to be the main event of WrestleMania. I want to do this because when I show her on TV, like when she see what the girls were doing, there was a lot of pillow fights and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of didn't really have, have, have a thing that I could show her and be like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm telling you what I want to do is different. And so I kind of wanted to wrestle around in, in, in Japan and stuff like that. But there wasn't, there was, you know, there, there wasn't that much money in it. Like I couldn't save up for, for, for a retirement with that. And so like my ma was, was, was very on my case to either go back to college or get a real job. And I, I kind of got lost and I got confused and um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I, I, I kind of gave it all up and, uh, end up doing a personal training diploma in Orlando because I thought, well, maybe I'll be closer to the action if I do that. But by then I was so, I was so messed up in my own head in terms of what I wanted to do. And I remember writing down like, oh, you're, you know, you're 19. It's time to give up on this dream stuff and get a real job, get a real life. As if I was freaking 49 or something. Do you know what I mean? And, and so, um, and, and I gave it all up and, and that's when I went into Aer Lingus, um, and became a flight attendant. And for the first couple of weeks, it was cool. And then, and then, and then I was, then I was out of it. And more so, more so because of the, of the transient nature of all the relationships. I, uh, I, I, you know, wrestling, it's such a community. And we talk about this with, you know, knowing Finn for so long and, and JD for so long and, and, and you become like brothers and, and sisters and, and it, it becomes a family. And I was so used to that community. And then all of a sudden I was, I was out of it, kind of couldn't face it because, because I knew how much I actually loved it. I knew that I'd kind of turned my back on it, given up, like, and, 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 and so then I was trying to make these new friendships, but you'd be with a different crew every, every day. And so like, uh, yes. Yeah, so, 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 so that kind of the, the small talk element of it, like, I feel like I'm pretty decent at small talk, but at, at the end of the day, you know, you wanted to turn to somebody and have a, have a more deeper, meaningful conversation. Um, from time to time, other than how about the the weather over in New York? God, yeah, it's nice, isn't it? God, yeah, it's cold. God, yeah, you know, like all these <laughs> things that, that you end up talking about. And so, um, and so anyway, like with that, th- that was kind of a blessing. Was was not liking that as much as I did because it kind of forced me to go out and figure out what I did want to do. And and with that, I just tried to do a bunch of different stuff. You know, I just. Just threw a bunch of 
crap at the wall and, and, and tried to see what stuck. And the thing that stuck was that I went, I went and did a, a, an acting course for like 10 weeks in the gaiety. And, uh, and I was like, oh, God, this is this performing. This is this is it. This is it. And uh, and then and then from there, I was like, OK, maybe I'll go back to college and I'll, I'll study acting. My mom was like, God, no, you're not going to do that. No, you need to get a real job. You need to get a proper job. <laughs> the art of the Irish mammy. I'm telling you, Corey, there's something about it. It's, it's Irish mammies, you know, but it, 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 with that, they really push you because if you get past them, if you get past them and you're able to do what you want to do, then you can take over the world. You know, it's not, it's not if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Like, we're not talking about New York City. We're talking about proving to your ma that you can make it. That's when you know you've made it. It's funny hearing these, these tales from your journey pre-WWE, because that was when you and I first met, was when you arrived in NXT, and you went through a lot of the same. Let's throw stuff against the wall. Let's see what sticks. Is there a moment that stands out to you? It feels like a lifetime ago, even speaking like it, it was like almost a third of our lives ago, Becky. We have been in this company for it's that crazy. long. I know. Let's let's make us both feel ancient. But when you came in and you were you were trying different things, I remember with, you know, sitting in there with you and Dusty and you were trying to figure out gear or or what your presentation was going to be like. And you were really, like you said about your your career, throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what, st- what stuck. Was there a moment in NXT you can recall off the top of your head where you went, okay, I'm comfortable. This is what I'm supposed to be. Obviously it wasn't your final form, but did you ever reach that or did you kind of keep moving in the process? God, I don't know. I don't know that I ever felt comfortable in NXT. And I think I, you know, I've, I, from the moment I got on raw, I felt way more comfortable than I ever did in NXT. And, uh, and I think a lot of that was, I was always on the chopping block. Like I was always on the chopping block, you know, like it's kind of one of those things where you say to people like, oh no, I wasn't good. And, and they go, oh yeah, sure, sure. Kind of all you I was awful. I was awful. And I really would just throw whatever I could. The great thing about me was I didn't really have anything to lose too, though. And I didn't have any, have any shame. So I get up there and I do a, a silly Irish jig and I'd, <laughs> and I'd, uh, I'd, 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 you know, I'd play crazy characters like little old lady magician and all this different stuff and uh, and hope something stuck because I was like well you know what they they're not going to book me like I'm the next Goldberg like <laughs> I'm not going to be I'm not going to be spotted and seen like okay we need to put a rocket to her because she's got it you know for me it was just a matter of how I could survive so give me anything, give me a sliver of anything. I will take it. I will run with it. I will put as much energy as I can into it and try and make it as good as I can. And that was kind of what I did. That was my survival mechanism. And I, I didn't, I suppose I never had the luxury of feeling or not. I think actually I had the luxury. I had the luxury, sorry, of feeling like I never made it or like I was never going to make it. And I, and I think that was a blessing because it never allowed me to become complacent or entitled. I just always had to work and I had to grind. And, uh, and I think that's what made everything better. And I also think that that's what has endeared me to, to the fans. You know, I think they see that and not many people are seen and spotted and like, that's our guy, that's our girl. Let's let's strap a rocket. Not many people get that in life. And I think uh, I think people can relate to that. Well, it sounds to me like that's not necessarily a WWE attribute. That's a Rebecca Quinn attribute. That is who you are as a human. You're a survivor. You were figuring out how to stay afloat on your journey to WWE. You got to NXT, still didn't feel comfortable like you fit in, but you scratched and clawed and did whatever you had to do to make it to the next level. Made it to the next level, and my God, we we only have like an hour to catch up here. So I apologize for kind of dipping and, and weaving throughout your career. And KP cut me off. I know you got a lot of stuff you want to talk about, but uh, hats off to you. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible human attribute to realize and be self aware enough that your road isn't paved for you. You still have work to do, and I do agree that that's probably what a lot of the WWE fans see in you and connect with you regarding. Yeah, yeah, but and 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 like you know, I think a lot of the time you spent 
questioning and comparing and going, God, I wish I had this and that, but this person has that and that. And you kind of have, uh, uh, you have to sit back and go, yeah, but they don't have what I have, you know? And, and sometimes thinking what, what you have is okay. Well, what do you, what do you really have? And, and so, um, and, but the one thing was that ability to connect with, with the crowd. And I think, um, look at wrestling in a different way. Um, and, and, and not look at it as, 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 as moves and, um, just what happens within the ropes, but, but beyond that and bigger than that and kind of really sit and contemplate, okay, why do I want to mess them up? Why do I want to beat the living crap out of them? And, and then, and then find the most interesting way to, to get the people involved. And so that was really what I kind of, I suppose it may, may have taken me a little while to figure that out. But once I figured that out, that, that was my niche. If, if I can, if I can stick to telling the best story, then, um, then, then, then I can get further than, than anybody would have expected from me. Telling stories, KP, the name of the game, recurring theme here on After the Bell. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Gravy, you put up a photograph recently on Instagram. It was Dusty Rhodes teaching the class. And I have to ask you both this question because the class that he was teaching at the time was littered with talent that are, that are main eventers here today. What was so special about that group that you guys were part of? Gosh, I think you had, God, there's, there's so much. I remember that time and feeling like it was like the kind of, it kind of felt like that way that ECW did, I suppose. And obviously I wasn't there, you know, in it, but kind of how it felt like looking from the outside. Um, ECW felt in, in, in the 90s was that you didn't necessarily have the, 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 the typical stars. I mean, you had some of the typical stars, you know, that, that you knew were going to make it, but then you had a lot of... Uh, the underdogs and, and the people with grit and a whole lot of passion. And also the other thing was that everybody was on edge. Like I, I remember being told when, when, when I got in there, like one of you might make it out of the group of, of, of whatever it was like 15 that I came in with one of you might make it. And like, I was looking around going, well, everybody is like built like a Greek God, uh, or is, is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in real life and in my entire life. And so that one person isn't going to be me, but I want to make sure it's me. And so I think you had this chip on your shoulder. And I think a lot of people had that of, of, okay, well, any of us can go right now. 
it ain't going to be me. So I'm going to work and I'm going to grind. But, but in that, it also didn't feel like, like a dog eat dog world. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like people were stabbing each other in the back. It felt like everybody wanted to work together to create this thing, to build a better future. And I, I think that was it. Everybody wanted to build a better future. And we were kind of coming into this. There had been that wave in 2010 where 2011, where a lot of the folks that had been signed weren't signed because they were wrestlers, they were passionate, you know, and, and all these things. And it was kind of an integration of both of those things. You, you had, you had the athletes that could go, that were brilliant, that were naturally talented and that could bring something new. But you also had the people that loved wrestling, that brought that passionate element. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, of, of Sami Zayn and, and, and Kevin Owens and all those other people that were there. Corey yourself um, and, and, and we loved wrestling and we wanted to make wrestling the coolest thing in the world again and um, everybody tried and we worked together for that and so in a way then so, so maybe the outside look was that okay only one of you were going to make it but it kind of felt like everybody came t- together to be like no we're all going to make it and we're going to make you a bunch of money and we're going to make this thing better <laughs> I think that's how it felt. I, I would agree with everything you just said. I, I know Seth and I have had the conversation a lot of times dating back to the FCW days where the analogy I always use is in the movie Toy Story. There's the machine with all the little aliens. And that was FCW. We were all the little aliens in the machine. And every once in a blue moon, the claw that was the main roster would drop in and take one of our friends like Cesaro <laughs> and you would never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God, one of us is gone. And it seemed that there was no rhyme or reason. There was terrible synergy. There was no sort of uh, no. We were on an island under ourselves in FCW. But to Becky's point, that was the mentality. There was a bunch of us who had scratched and clawed our way through the independents, the Sammies, the Seths, myself, Mox, all those guys. And then you had an influx of these athletes. You're Baron Corbin, uh, Jason Jordan in the early days. Uh, all of these guys who all came and. Like Becky said, that was the goal. We seemed, we we had such huge chips on our shoulders and we sort of felt hopeless that we this was probably as good as it was going to get for most of us. But you know what? I was able to pay my electric bill as a pro wrestler. I could pay my rent. So that in and of itself felt like a success. No, and Becky, I, I think you would agree that you feel like a millionaire on on 25 grand a year because oh, 100%. It was, you never had that. And then you had somebody like a Dusty who just had this talent we're looking at everybody and Dusty, I, I don't throw this word around casually, but was a genius in his own way. Dusty could see things in people that they couldn't see in themselves. And Dusty had this way about him where he could sit down with you. And I was lucky enough in Dusty's later years to be able to spend an exorbitant amount of time with him every day sitting in there. And it would be, let's run through the roster. What's Becky Lynch missing? Oh, well, she's a great worker. She can talk, but she needs this, that, and other thing, whatever those lists were and just bouncing ideas back and forth and working with the talent. And Dusty just had this way about him where he, he, he had the warmth of everybody's grandfather where, where you literally, you never felt pressured or uncomfortable. He just had a way about him that sucks you in and you just wanted his approval and his knowledge that he was just spilling at every opportunity that the gold that would just fall out of Dusty's mouth on a random Wednesday morning at promo class. If you were smart enough to catch it, man, the sky's the limit. And and you look in that picture, you know, the start of the conversation KP, and there are so many top tier superstars. And those were, that that was later in his years. That was after a lot of the guys had already been up and making, making money on the road. Um, and, And I honestly, and I don't mean this in a negative way. I don't know if that can ever be recreated. That was such a special point in time for all of us, all of us who were there and most of us who sort of populate WWE now, Raw, SmackDown, the commentary desk, the producers backstage. I mean, we all came from that, that era and it was a magical time. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to take up all the time talking about Dusty, but you hit that note. I love it. No, but it was, and there, he he had a he he did have a, a magic about him. And you talk about like wanting his approval, and, and you did. 
And the other thing, the flip side to it was you knew that you always had it. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. kind of, you felt this weird, unconditional love to, you know, he had no, he had no right to feel, feel like that. I mean, he's dusty freaking roads, but you just felt very accepted because it didn't matter if you, if you looked like the next top star or not. He, he knew that that wasn't always what made money that sometimes it's just a little a little spark in there that you need to bring out you just need to you need it to catch fire and then off you go and dusty was always sort of a rebel at heart and i think he secretly enjoyed when he would take someone that you wouldn't think was gonna succeed and he would sprinkle that dusty magic on him and then boom there you go main roster it's like whoa how did that happen and i know dream you know he he laughed to himself about that he got a big thrill out of that yeah for sure, for sure. Someone I absolutely would have loved to have met, honestly. Oh, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. Like, I remember actually, I, I have the best last words as well from Dusty. You know, like I was following him around and I get real enthusiastic and I'd be like, oh, I've got this idea and that idea. And he turned around to me and goes, shut up, Becky. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked out and that was, that was his last words. And I think that... Uh, that's perfect. That's like the, the, the best last words I could possibly want from Dusty Bro. <laughs> Amen. Becky, he'd be so proud, honestly, with what you've gone on to accomplish. Think about what you've done. I mean, the first woman to win the main event of WrestleMania, glittering career, and then everything comes to a halt back in, what, May of 2020, I believe, when you have to relinquish your Raw yeah. Women's title because you're preggers. I'm sure you went through the ultimate roller coaster of emotions back then. Yeah, yeah, God. Um, I think, oh God, it was one of those things because it happened way sooner than I would have would have expected. Um, and uh, but also at the same time, there was no audience, and so so it was kind of one of those things that was like bittersweet. I think I would have been a lot more upset if if the audience was still there. I think kind of the world was in such a it's such a such a weird state at the time that kind of being able to to step back kind of didn't feel like you were missing out as much as because the audience is such an important thing of what we do it's a it's our third team partner and so um and and so so with the world shutting down and then knowing that you're, you're going to bring uh, a life into the world with, with the person that you love more than anything else. Um, it, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was mostly, it was mostly good with that. Oh my God, am I going to be able to come back? How am I going to manage that? How am I going to, how, how am I going to be able to balance the two and all those kind of normal anxieties I think that you would have. But I think, I think, I think with, with the world in just such a, tumultuous state that it was in 2020 that kind of took a little bit of the anxiety away probably gave some new anxieties as as i think we all felt and um maybe you're all kind of still coming out of isn't it funny that this um, i'm just stepping outside of the interview for a minute and i'm thinking okay we touched on this we touched on the journey growing up jumped briefly to nxt uh glossed over headlining wrestlemania to having a child uh, do you realize are you aware now because i'm terrible at at, you know looking back at accolades and accomplishments i'm always kind of like nose to the grindstone what i did yesterday is in the past i'm I'm on to the on to the next on to the next are you at a point in your career now where you're able to step back and say wow i I did some stuff like I, i made history it's not just a catchphrase um i think in some ways in some ways, yes. And I think um, I think there's very much an appreciation to the transitory nature of, of, of life, I suppose. And, um, and I think kind of coming to terms with you can't hold on to any of these things. Like you can't go, okay, yeah, but I want to win the main event for, for the first time and win two championships again. You know, you can't, you can't hold on to that and you can't... Um, and, um, and, and you can't reach for the same thing again. You kind of have to always move on and find new goals and kind of appreciate the things that happen. Um, but I don't, I don't think you ever kind of really sit back and go, oh yeah, I, I made it. Because you're always on to, the, on to the next thing. I think if anything, it's given me an appreciation of, of 
of aging. I know that sounds kind of weird or whatever, but, but I think we're in such an industry that, that you feel when you get to a certain age. And by the way, I'm still young. <laughs> I'm still very young. But, you know, you, you see comments or like whatever it is, you know, um, that, oh, she's looking old or whatever. And you never read the comments. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes you'll happen to, to, to stumble upon one. And, and you go, oh God, like, am I, am I, am I old or like, am I over the hill? Should I be doing? And, and you kind of go, no, no, hell, I have had so much experience and so much great experience. And I am still in my prime getting started. Like we still got so much to do. And like, I have earned every wrinkle on my face, every gray hair that you'll never see because I've been dying it since <laughs> I was 15. And you kind of have this appreciation for life and, and how we're, yeah, we're just constantly progressing and things happen and then they're gone and then we can't hold on to them and we have to keep moving forward and what's the next thing and how do we appreciate what's happening right now and so um i don't know if that answers your question i think that kind of went all over the place i suppose it's just an appreciation for what we've done what we're going to do and what we've got right now i think that's that's where i'm at Becky, you mentioned uh, past accomplishments not being something that we can necessarily hold on to, that being a stark contrast to an accomplishment that I have seen you physically hold many times. She is a presence backstage, of course, your daughter uh, with Seth Rollins. How has the arrival of your daughter and motherhood changed the man, Becky Lynch, and the way you approach life and the business? God, yeah, like I said, I think it gives you that kind of appreciation of 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 just just how everything keeps moving how everything keeps moving you know like you look at her and you go god she's never she's never going to be a little baby anymore she's never going to be a little baby she's never she's she's now like a walking talking authoritarian always <laughs> eating by the way. i have never seen her without something in her hands that she's just chomping on it was a pear last week oh, did you ever see her yeah. run by the way this kid is athletic she passed. She fought, tried chasing her through the airport. Like Jesus, yeah, do you, yeah. I, th I, th I think, I think, I just want to make sure I leave a legacy that she's proud of. I can, uh, and and I want to conduct myself in a way that uh, that that she would be proud of. You know that when when people talk about her or her mom when she's older and. They'll go, yeah, you know, she she helped the business, you know, or she she did some stuff. She she did some stuff, and and so I think that's that's a thing. But I think I think also it realigns your priorities that um, that you're not spending time getting stuck up on the small stuff. And I think I've had to had to work on this a lot. Um, but but I would get stuck on the small stuff. Like if I had a creative idea and it didn't go exactly the way I wanted to, and I would I would it would it would ruin my week. It would ruin my week. Or if something didn't come across on TV the way I wanted, it, that would be it. It would ruin my week, and and I would be left wallowing in it. And now you just don't. You can't. You just can't. You just can't because. She doesn't have time for that. She doesn't care about that. And you just have to get on with things. And so there's there's a lesson in, in balancing everything, but also just realizing what matters and what doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, if, if she has a fever or something like that, then touch wood, she doesn't get sick very often. But all of that would go out the window. I wouldn't wouldn't give a damn about, you know, whether whether or not my creative idea that I thought was so genius didn't come into fruition. You know, none of, none of those things would matter. And it kind of just really, really gives you your priorities and puts them in line. You hear that KP? There's hope for me after all. Maybe, maybe my new arrival will chill me out a little bit. Cause right now I'm still all on edge. <laughs> I'm serious, man. You got a baby. I mean, I've, I've done, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, on, on that note, by the way, like we can never even imagine, Corey, you've been in ring, obviously. I, I can never imagine what you guys go through having a baby and the emotional, the physical nature of, of you know, the, the months after and then deciding to get back in the ring. What were some of the biggest challenges for you post giving birth to your daughter? 
on returning? God, I suppose, well, like, it was, um, I suppose the biggest challenge uh, was one that kind of came up recently, um, which I didn't realize could happen, was I, you know, people talk about postpartum depression, and I thought that's what happens instantly. So I'd kind of uh, scaled past it and been like, oh, I'm great, I'm fine, I survived it. And, uh, and I came back to work relatively, not too quickly, but relatively quickly, um, and, and put everything into, into that. And so I kind of felt like I'd, I'd escaped it. And then I weaned her in January and I didn't realize that when, when, when you're done nursing, that you can get kind of a, a postpartum depression then. And so I was, we're over two, two and a half years or not two and a half, but over two years later. And so, um, at first I didn't realize what was happening. I didn't realize why I was so on edge. Um, and then, and then it kind of got really, really dark, um, for a few months. And I was in, uh, in a really bad spot. Um, And, uh, sorry. Um, and it was kind of one of those things where you're trying to pull yourself out of, because you know, like, like I would know mentally, God, I've got a great life. I've got a great life. I've got a great husband. I've got a great baby. I'm doing this thing at the highest level that I love, but, but none, no reasoning with yourself was able to, 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 overcome just that level of, of, of depression. And so, um, uh, thankfully, thankfully somebody that we all know, I won't put her on the spot, but, 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 um, but she, she, she told me what was happening because it, it had happened to, to her and she had gone through that and she gave me some help and she gave me some tips. And I kind of just kept thinking, it was going to pass, you know, it was just going to pass. It was going to pass, you know, like it was going to pass. And then it really wasn't passing. And so, um, it was right after WrestleMania, just, just, just there. And um, when I, when, uh, God, right after Trish turned on me and I, I, I hurt my foot in, in that match. I heard it in the beginning and, uh, it was like a, like a precursor to a stress fracture. So, so they, they took me off for, for four weeks and it was such a blessing because I kind of really had to face everything that I was going through because, you know, when you go, 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 you can be so distracted. Um, but you, you realize that you're, you're getting quite explosive but you just kind of get on with it. You're just like, let me just get on with it. Let me get on with it. Um, and so I really had to face it and, um, and learn how to deal with it. And a lot of it was like meditation and, uh, and, and still that really didn't, it, it, it made me understand my thoughts a bit better. And so, so, so I was able to kind of figure them out and stop them when they were getting, getting too dark. And then, and then just like, a a, a, a crazy supplement, supplement, um, routine, I suppose. Um, and then, and then acupuncture really kind of balanced everything. And then I was like, Oh God, okay. Now I can, now I can appreciate everything again and, 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 and get back to, to feeling like me. Um, but it was, and, and it lasted way longer than, than I thought it would. And I thought it was going to pass. So, so, so that was probably the biggest obstacle that I faced because, you know, I feel like when you're, when you're not, it's kind of like that, uh, the oxygen mask, uh, analogy, you know, when you don't have your own oxygen mask on, you can't help anybody else. And, and I felt like that too. I felt like, like I didn't want to be around people. I could feel this, this bad energy that I had, like bringing, bringing other people down and out. Um, and so now I've gotten back to, to feeling like myself and, um, being excited for everything. And, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that was the, 
that was the biggest, that was the biggest hurdle I had to overcome. First off, thank you for sharing that. Um, I know it's not easy to talk about, but I, as you know, Carmela and my journey and what we've been through over the past year or so, uh, the amount of people that listen to this sort of stuff and pay attention to this and actually listen and take this advice and utilize it to to maybe mitigate their own circumstances or, or make things better for themselves, it doesn't go unnoticed. So uh, I appreciate you, you know, coming on here and, and talking about that. And for everybody listening, like that's that's something that I learned as a man, you know, going through with what Carmela suffered through. Um, that you know, obviously, as guys, we can only be there so much or to to such an extent. But to be understanding and realize like how difficult that time and, and how many questions there are and, and how you're not alone dealing with it. Like it really, really helps to, to kind of bond over that sort of thing. So I appreciate you uh, opening up about that. And I'm glad to see that things have uh, gotten back on track for big time Bex. Thank you. No, that was one of those things as well. I didn't know. I didn't know you get post post weaning depression. I, I, and so not even knowing that that was a thing, I think also, um, also, also, um, hurt me because, because why am I feeling like this? Why am I acting like this? And, and not realizing that, okay, no, this is actually a common thing that happens and there are ways and, and there are ways that you can treat it. And, and once you kind of figure out the, the, the cause of all of that, then, then you're off to the races and then you're back and then you can appreciate everything. Um, but yeah, for, for a few months there it was rough. Well, we're glad you made it. We're glad you're back to your, uh, your full form, your full self. As we prepare for money in the bank, the women's ladder match, you will be taking part in one week from tomorrow. Uh, we talked about how excited you are to head back to the UK, but why should the WWE universe be excited and believe in the man? Why is now the time for Becky Lynch to become Ms. Money in the Bank? Oh my gosh, I wanted that thing. <laughs> I wanted it. I have wanted it. Since it's since its inception, like I have, I was in the first um, Money in the Bank, the women's first Money in the Bank ladder match where your wife won it, stole it from me. She wasn't my wife yet. I can't be held responsible then. <laughs> I know, I know. Fair God, maybe you would have been able to get her on the straight and narrow. No, <laughs> um, uh, so 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 I've been in four. And every single one, I've been the last person holding it before I've gotten knocked off. And um, and and there's just there's just something there's something so exciting about that that briefcase. And um, and I've always wanted to hold it because because anything can happen. Anything can happen, and it's that element of surprise that you always have. And that's what we do. But that's what we wrestle for. That's what we do this for, to elicit a response from the audience. And there is never a better, bigger response than when somebody with a briefcase hits the ring, their music hits, and, and, and the place just goes electric because anything can happen. I want that. I, it, it has eluded me this long. But now I have gotten myself into a precarious situation. Is, is it safe to say that there is a bit of an unspoken rivalry in the household regarding potential money in the bank cash ins? Because I know someone I don't want to name names. That's not my style. But someone close to you may or may not be responsible for the greatest cash in of all time. Is there part of Becky that wants to take that crown? So. So look. I don't think anybody's going to be able to take that crown. I agree. I, th I think we just accept that. I think we accept it and we move on, right? Okay. Like because, <laughs> because, because, because that's just the way it is. But I wonder, but there is something to that because the first WrestleMania I went to, we were in NXT and we were brought up was when he cashed in. So I was there. That was my first experience of WrestleMania live in person, standing in the audience watching him and I watched his first match by the way stole the show incredible match and then I was there to feel the energy so I think because that was my first experience of Wrestlemania it really hit home and it was you know with um Colby and he was a friend of mine at the time so I was obviously very happy for him so there is an emotional attachment there not that I am trying to I mean, look, I'm always trying. I'm always trying to, to, I 
would always try to have the best cash-in in history. But I just think that that crown is, he has claimed that kingdom for eternity. Well, every great Maybe queen, not, maybe every, not. Every great king needs a great queen, no? That's true, that's true. Don't sell yourself self short, Vex, come on. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sell myself short at all. But, and, and like I said, I would want to have the greatest cash-in of all time. But it, his was just so good. It was just <laughs> so good. Like, I get so excited thinking of it because it was so good. And then I get so excited thinking of it if I were to cash in. Oh, well, think, think about, about what the you're pop. Have. That's why we do everything. That's it. Think about what you're going to have at the O2 Arena. Packed house, the amount of Irish that are going to be there. This is your chance to speak to them now, Becky. This is your moment, whether it's the Ole Ole chant that Sami Zayn gets in Montreal. What do you want from them to help you get over the line? Because in that match, you've got Eo and Bailey looking at you. You've got the Pitbull, as you call her, Zoe Stark alongside Trish Stratus. You've got your work cut out, so you're going to need the WWE Universe. I will. I will. <laughs> They're all I've got in that match, you know? And I think... <laughs> Because I, I have I have not endeared myself to any woman in this company, nor nor do I want to. Nor do I want to, especially like I've been burned for the last time. I don't want to. I don't want any friends. Don't stay away from me, friends, because they're the ones that hurt you the worst. Um, but the audience, the audience, thank God, have been with me. They've been with me on this journey. I want to hear that. that, that I, I, I want... Look, I have a kind of a history with the audience and money in the bank. Really, they're kind of what what made me the man. Because when we look back at the money in the bank 2018, and it was the the upswell from the audience from any time I would climb that ladder. And there was no way that that the office could ignore it. And that's really where it started. That's really where the man started was from the audience responding to me kindly at Money in the Bank and to reward them, to finally give them their reward and say, guys, it's all been worth it. While I climb that ladder in the O2, in front of me countrymen, in front of the people that, 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 that I maybe wrestled in front of in, in little halls in London 20 years ago, you know, it'll be worth it. I feel like I... Yeah, 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 we need it. We need it. Well, good luck, Becky, at the Money in the Bank premium live event. Don't forget, special start time of 3 p.m. Eastern time here in the States. Becky, where can the WWE Universe find you on social media? At Becky Lynch, WWE, and I believe that is on Twitter and Instagram. There you go. Well, make sure you stay tuned. Follow the man. I'm sure she will keep you occupied and entertained as we always try to do here. Find us at After the Bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. You can find KP at Kev underscore Egan. And listen for free wherever you get your podcast. Just search After the Bell and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. And just a reminder, full episodes of this here podcast are available on the official WWE YouTube channel each and every Monday. Once again, good luck to the man as she comes around full circle in London. O2, we're headed your way. And we'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. Bell.